and welcome to our podcast, <laughs> Unnecessary Angst. I, I caught the switch up this week. Thank you. You did. You I was it right away. I was ready for it this time. <laughs> I'm so proud. Oh my goodness! It's just it's how we know that we're such good friends. We're in each other's heads, even from <laughs> yeah. three thousand miles away. <laughs> Something like that. Oh God, uh, Julia, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm sleepy. I realize I'm like a full month. Or almost halfway through my, um, not full month. I'm almost halfway through my semester. <laughs> I'm like, I was saying to some of my my partner uh, partners in our group project. I was like, I feel like we just started the semester. It's weird. Yeah. I'm I'm I'm, I'm on break next week, <laughs> and then after that, I hit the halfway mark. That's crazy. This is wild. Yeah. Um. But I'm drinking a, well, I don't know how to explain it. It's like <laughs> rum with some sweetener and lime and a little bit of tonic. So it's almost like a rum and tonic, but not quite. <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting wild. Okay. All right. Yeah. Are you guys running out of liquor and you just don't know what to do anymore? <laughs> No, I just didn't know what to have, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to put together a bunch of things that I like with some rum, because we have a lot of it right now, because my mm. mom just bought more rum, and that's what I made. Already. <laughs> All right. Fair. I need to get more creative in my cocktails. I mean, I don't even have any liquor in the house, so I've just been <laughs> drinking whatever wines and ciders I have, like, laying around. I just placed a large, well, somewhat large, uh craft cider order oh yes oh yes so i'm getting like a dirty chai cider and cocoa caramel cider strawberry rhubarb like all of these fancy cider flavors um so we'll see how they all taste you're drinking them even more of connoisseur of cider than i am which is hard (laughs) but like you are working towards that well, they're just, yeah, they're all these, like, fun, fun flavors from cideries on the West Coast, so I figured I'd give a couple of them a try and see what's up. So, very excited for those to come in, but that's not what I have right now, because that order hasn't come in yet, so right now I'm drinking my uh, Brute Cider from Golden State Cider in Sonoma County, which basically is champagne in a can. I They say it's cider, I don't believe them, I think it's sparkling wine. <laughs> Well, it's good then if it tastes, if it's champagne in a can, it's actually tasting like champagne and not cider. Yeah, it doesn't really taste like cider. I mean, a little bit, but not, not a ton. Uh, but yeah, and I don't know, life's good, busy with work, I'm becoming a parent, you know. <laughs> I feel like, when is this actually happening? Next Saturday. <laughs> oh my god, oh god. Yeah, so next time we record, I will have a ward. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna get to meet her. You will, yeah. She'll be probably very shy on camera because she's shy around new people, but she's a sweetheart. Um, I'm I'm excited for your adoption. Thank you. (laughs) Not formal. Not formal. (laughs) No. (laughs) I can't be a real parent, guys. I can't pay for a kid to go to college. I still can barely feed myself. Like we can't think about those things. What are you guys gonna do for food? 
Uh, well, I am gonna have to go to the grocery store. <laughs> and <laughs> buy food. I'm gonna cook it? Yeah. I cook Maybe now! You do... <laughs> I've been cooking. Maybe you should do, like, those meal kit things. That's what I'm doing. I have Hungry okay. Root. I mean, I'm using this meal. This is not sponsored, obviously, because we have no sponsors, because we have no <laughs> listeners. But, um... <laughs> I've been using this subscription service called Hungry Root where they send you like a box of groceries every week and then like dedicated recipes for like how to make the groceries like into food. But then they also send you like snacks and breakfast items and like all of these things. So I can use those to make a lot of food and then we'll just have pasta for lunch every day because I have so much extra pasta from these boxes. Like, I probably have seven boxes of unused pasta because they just send me extra pasta every week and I can't figure out how to turn it off. <laughs> it's a new problem. It's all, chick- it's all chickpea pasta, too, because, like, for the bulk oh, of their pots. Oh, but box, I love chickpea pasta. It's good. It just makes uh, it's, the pots are harder to clean because there's so much nasty yeah, foam. everywhere. Um, yeah. But... There's just, everything in their boxes are gluten-free, like, very healthy food, simple food. Um, so I'm, <laughs> that's how I've been forcing myself to eat healthy, and she really wants to eat healthy, too. So I'm going to continue doing those for dinners, and then you just make the two portions, and it's really easy to, like, do it all at once. And then either feed her sandwiches or pasta for lunch. <laughs> And I have granola for her for breakfast, so. <laughs> you're, like, making her sound like your pet. I, I'm gonna feed her some pasta. My mom told me I had to take her on walks. <laughs> Make sure she's she's sleeping. <laughs> exactly. Gotta get her some good exercise, too, you know? <laughs> Uh, it'll be an interesting experience to say the least I just clearly with 2021 like I don't know how to chill like I bought a house now I'm becoming a parent like there's just no break (laughs) well you're making the most of a bad year that yep making it making it work hopefully I still have time to read books in between all of the craziness um Speaking of which, we should we should probably get into this week's topic. So this week we'll be talking about chapters, like that transition. Smooth transition. <laughs> uh, chapters, we'll be talking about chapters 14 and 15 from The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. Um, so we're, we're almost like halfway through this book now. Like we've made some solid progress. Hmm. Things are really starting to pick up and... Uh, I have a lot of feelings still, again. I just... So many things to unpack in these two chapters. So why don't we just get into the synopsis, Julia? Do you want to kick us off with chapter 14? I do. Okay, so in chapter 14, we begin by getting to meet the other two members of their little spy posse. (laughs) We meet ghost who looks vaguely human and is very handsome with sandy colored hair and the hair is apparently what makes him kind of immortal looking which is interesting that no one apparently in fairy land has sandy hair i'm assuming blonde hair um 
Next, we meet the bomb, who has brown skin, white hair, butterfly wings, and Jude thinks is part pixie or imp, and we are told that she is the thief from chapter three. Ah! Later. <laughs> she tells Jude she likes to blow things up, which takes Jude aback since she's not used to bluntness from fairies, and she asks if it's just the three of them. Birch confirms that yes, that they keep Dane safe and informed, and will continue to do so once he is crowned. Feeling, feeling very good about him becoming crazy. yeah like it's a foregone conclusion even yeah. though Balakin has all this poison just lurking around <laughs> she wants him uh, crown because that means Matic will remain in power and if she proves useful maybe she can get the court off her back the roach, roach points out she can sneak among both the human servants and the gentry which none of them can do because they are solitary fae and that she will get orders from him now. Jude says she can't skip class or meals with the family, but can sneak out to meet them when she is supposed to be in bed. And they say that they will meet her near Maddox's house to train her and give her job. This is so teenage. Just, I know. I love it. But I love that the Roach was like, oh my god, this is so stupid, but okay. <laughs> Fine, we'll meet you by your house, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I don't have time for this courtly stuff, but... <laughs> Uh, they pretend like they're going to haze her, but they'll laugh and say if Dane says she is okay, then she is okay. Though Jude wishes they would give her some sort of test. Which is, I feel like she's kind of, like, triggered. She's bit. such a masochist. Like, why does she do this to herself? She's been through a lot. So don't ask for more. I know. Girl. Uh... They talk for a bit about their concerns with Balakin, and then the ghost says he will take her home, following him as hard because of how silent he is. They take a shortcut through the wine cellar so he can grab a few bottles, and she tries to laugh, but it doesn't feel right. <laughs> she starts to realize she may not actually be okay because she can't laugh. This girl. I mean, listen, what's important is that she's realizing that her mental health is not in an okay state. Which we knew four chapters ago, but... She changes and goes home and sees Oak chasing sprites with Vivi, Taryn, and Locke watching on. She questions why Locke is there, wondering if he is there for her. Oak comes up to her and she gives him a big hug, and then he runs away hoping she will chase. She ponders if she if he will grow up to hate mortals and become cruel like Garden or brutal like Maddox. She's such a pessimist. God, her head is a horrible place to live. Oh. She starts to head to the stables and Locke chases after her, asking where she's going, and she answers him with a smile. He calls her a lady of mystery, and she notes he looks like the best kind of trouble. Oh my god. Her flirting so makes me viscerally so uncomfortable. So I hate it. He asks her to come back to class, and Jude sees Taryn staring, Taryn staring intensely from afar, hoping she didn't piss doesn't piss Locke off. Jude questions why, and Locke tells her she's playing a game of royalty, which of course she did not realize she is playing, which leads to one of my favorite quotes, which we will get to later. Okay. <laughs> he wants both her and Taryn to come back, and they walk to the stables together. Locke asks why she hasn't told Maddox what has been going on. She reminisces that since she isn't Maddox's actual child, he may not do much, but she tells Locke he would likely kill everyone. <laughs> 
Locke thought he would just pull her out and that the reason she hadn't told is because she wanted to stay. And she laughs because that's not Maddox style. <laughs> he grabs her hand, saying it wouldn't be the same without her. He stares at her intensely and she wonders if, she, if he can actually see all her thoughts since no one has ever looked at her like this. He kisses her palm, pulls her closer, and then kisses her. <laughs> so Gag- cringe. Gagging. Oh, God. <laughs> Suddenly, Taryn calls out, and they break apart, walking out to meet everyone. Ariana has called everyone to dinner, including Locke, but he can't stay, but he will call again. Taryn asks him if he talked to Jude about school, and he just winks at them both and says, Until tomorrow. Jude is curious how he persuaded Taryn to attend. She also refuses to look at Taryn, trying to avoid Taryn reading anything on her face, and avoids her the rest of the night. Jude forgot that she has somatic for strategy and swordplay help, um, so he ends up giving her books and says he will check in with challenges when she is done. She goes to her room and Taryn comes in, asking what Locke wanted. Jude says he is nice, and Taryn apparently looks like she wants to contradict Jude, but just asks Jude to spill about what happened that day at class. Since she came home basically naked and covered in fruit, she wants to know what Jude's awesome plan is, because she is a worried, like, I'm pretty sure that's a direct quote to awesome plan. It is, yeah. (laughs) Because she is worried they are going to kill her, and she doesn't understand why Jude doesn't care. Because Jude is a masochist. (laughs) Jude answers that every day she just back down the day Carden loses because they throw everything at her and he isn't con- conquering her. So it just shows how weak he is. They hug for a bit and then Taryn asks if Locke threatened Jude. She said he did nothing bad. It felt more like out of a storybook. And Taryn tells her something bad will probably happen soon. This role reversal <laughs> just really fucked with me in this chapter. <laughs> Twins. Oh my god. Jude shifts the conversation, asking who Taryn is in love with, partially because of Carden's comments. Taryn won't tell her because it would break a promise, but says Jude will probably like him and he will declare himself at the coronation. First of all, that is, like, a weird promise to make, like, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone until, like, we're basically engaged. (laughs) Like, what? I have thoughts and comments. (laughs) We'll get into it. She pulls out the stolen Alice in Wonderland book. Taryn asks where she gets, where she got it, and tries to tell the truth, but can't because of the magic. <laughs> a piece of paper flutters out, which Jude hides under her pillow, and they read for a while, and then Jude falls asleep. The next morning, she looks at the paper and sees Carden's handwriting with her name repeated over and over and over with ink stains on the page. Is that what they're supposed to be? Yes. <laughs> okay, it's never, I just want to point out, it's never explicitly said yeah. that they're ink Maybe stains. I assumed that. It just says that he, like, ripped the paper from pressing too hard. Yeah, I think it's just ink stains. I reread it, like, six times, because I was like, is this blood or is this ink? Because <laughs> they're really big splotches to be I know. ink stains, right? They are. I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's, like, super sinister. I know it's not super sinister. I can already tell. Jude's getting in her own head. Well, not, like, voodoo, like, you're gonna put some blood on the page. (laughs) 
No, but, like, every time... I know this is a pop culture reference, so I'm sorry. But, like, every time I think of, like, the same thing written over and over and over again, I just think of I must not tell lies and, like, the quill mm. that cuts into the back yeah. of Harry's hand. So blood is immediately where my mind goes. <laughs> or they maybe could you're also, also be... a masochist. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they could also be tear stains. Maybe he was crying. I don't think they're tear stains. Well, I'm trying to give him a character choice. <laughs> okay. Anyways, chapter 15. <laughs> lot, lot happens in feeling world in chapter 14. Chapter 15, we get a lot of angst. Uh, so, it, chapter starts off with Oriana's dressmaker, Brambleweft coming the next day um because madigan told them they could all have dresses for the balls or coronation or something and so coronation uh, yeah something like that um yes that exact thing you're correct uh so the dressmaker comes and brings some amazing fabrics even vivi is interested in the fabrics because there's no comparison uh to in the mortal realm to anything like what this dressmaker has. They're, like, shimmering, moving fabrics. They're very cool. Uh, so Oriana's maid brings tea and snacks, and Jude starts thinking about the fruit and Cardin being whipped and her repeated name written on the piece of paper. She's just getting in her head a lot. She worries about how much Cardin hates her and how much more he would hate her if he knew what she had seen, which... That's a, probably a fair thing to worry about. Um, Oriana calls for her and she realizes she's kind of been staring off into space. They ask her who she is thinking about with a dreamy expression. Because <laughs> she secretly loves Cardin, as we all know. Uh, and she blushes and brushes it off. The seamstress wants to measure her, so of course Jude obliges, trying to be the perfect daughter. Which lasts for a whole five seconds. Um, the seamstress whispers to her that she's going to make the dress with pockets uh, so she can conceal weapons and poisons. And Jude's really grateful to Prince Dain for like taking this extra precaution and she can't wait to make him really proud of her. She eats some food that the uh, maid had brought and Vivi asks where she went the other day and she kind of just shrugs off the question. Vivi said that she found out what they did to her and reminds her she could have died and Jude just says that that's the way that they are and she doesn't get to live in a different world um vivi says it's not the only world obviously trying to convince her to come live in the mortal realm and jude firmly responds that it's her world so she's not going anywhere she turns away and starts to have a panic attack (sighs) this poor girl's head god but she pushes it down and continues suppressing her trauma since she doesn't know a better way to cope Uh, She then is fingering the fabrics, noting that they look made for princesses in fairy tales, though recognizing that Taryn is right and bad things always happen to the heroines in these stories. Taryn picks a specific fabric that she's interested in, um, that Jude's holding, and Vivi's just kind of like staring at Jude (laughs) suspiciously (laughs) because she knows something more is happening. Um, And then Oriana tells Taryn that Jude got the fabric first, but Jude doesn't really care about the specific fabric and she knows Taryn needs or wants it more because she's getting proposed to um so she says she can have it which solves all of their problems and now they're best friends again because that's how teenage girls work 
Uh, Brambleweft starts to sketch their dresses, and Jude's really excited about hers, which looks like battle armor in a dress, basically. Then Oak runs in, jumps onto Jude, and bites her shoulder. Casual greeting from siblings, you know? And it doesn't really bother her, because he's a little kid, she doesn't really care. She asks if he wants a story about a boy who lost all of his teeth and tickles him, and he says yes, he's, like, really excited to be hanging out with his big sister. Oriana grabs him and says he needs to dress for dinner, and he screams that he wants the story. She pulls him away to his nurse, and Jude yells at Oriana. <laughs> Very out of character. Uh, asking why she doesn't <laughs> trust him with her, which is apparently way out of line. Like, that's just a question you do not ask. And Oriana says they'll speak about it later with your father, and Jude yells that he's not her father. Taryn just, like, stares with wide eyes. Vivi's smiling about it because she's like, haha, Jude's like me. Yes. And Jude doesn't know how to go back to normal and she's clearly losing her mind. At school the next day, Taryn and Jude walk in. Jude is carrying a knife, lots of extra salt, and a new fake Rowanberry necklace. Every time she feels scared, she touches her blade. Locke winks at her from across the classroom, and she sees Cardin wince and knows he's feeling the whipping, but is clearly very adept at hiding his pain. After school, she practices with Maddox, then goes inside. Seeing Oak has stolen one of her stuffed animals, but she just kind of lets it go. Um, she goes to take a bath and then pulls a fairy fruit, which we now know is called an ever apple. <laughs> great um out of her backpack she notes she's been studying different poisons specifically blusher mushrooms death sweet wraith berry and ever apple um so she grabs the ever apple cuts it into pieces drops all of the pieces but one into sort of some a pine liqueur or liquor to keep it <laughs> fresh so she can like get back at it later and then eats one small tiny piece she then pulls out other pieces of all of the other deadly poisons and cuts off little pieces of them um, and swallows so she can build up immunity to the poison. So she poisons herself with four distinct things all at once. Great idea. So, of course, she doesn't make it to dinner because she's too busy vomiting and sweating and shaking. Um, she falls asleep in the bathroom and the ghost... It wakes her up in her bathroom off the floor because the roach wants her to train. Um, so the ghost is teaching her how to climb silently outside, which she thought she could do from her classes, but she was wrong because her teachers never corrected her mistakes. Mostly she fails, but she keeps trying, and the ghost um, praises her, and she kind of notes that he looks more human than even Vivi. Uh, he tells her to keep practicing and to try practicing by sneaking up on her sister's. She goes inside, sneaks past the servants, and collapses just to get up and repeat <laughs> the next day. What a life. It's horrible. Horrible life this girl has gotten herself into. It just does not feel fun at all. Mm -mm. No no piece of it. But, I don't know. Let's get into the, the commentary about chapter 14. First thing I want to say, and then I'll pass it off to you. I feel so vindicated. I know you do. I... 
I completely forgot about this. I was pushing it so hard in chapter three. I was like, no, this thief has to be important. It's a thing. I can just tell this feels like foreshadowing for something. They wouldn't have mentioned this. You were like, no, it's just to like explain how fairy works. And I was so sad. But now I'm vindicated. She's important. I was correct. She came back and I've never been more excited about anything in my life. Like the second I read the description before I even got to that sentence it said small girl white hair I skipped two sentences down because I was like no this is the thief and then it was confirmed and I was like yes Uh, the white hair did it for me yeah um sorry I just I need to get that off my chest I don't know how I didn't I it must have been such a, like, passing comment that it just never registered with me when I read this the first time around. Um, well, it's probably never referenced again, right? It's just like, no, I, oh, <laughs> Jude recognizes she's yeah. seen her before, and then it's like, that's it. And I just think it might also, be because, like, once we get to actually know the bomb, <laughs> um, it feels very out of character for her to be running around a ballroom taking stuff from people Mm -hmm. like the things that she does later on are very they're much stealthier um i mean i know she's stealthy when we first see her but like i feel like a really stealthy spy wouldn't be caught by like a mortal you know like she was like well the idea is that that even them i mean even though they're fairies they don't think about what the mortals are seeing yeah maybe i'm i'm doubtful I think it was just trying to, like, get some foreshadowing in. I'm so excited about it. (laughs) Yeah, so. Well, I'm glad that you were vindicated. Thank you. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Milo's probably never coming back, but I'll hold up hope for the emo human boy. (laughs) I don't. That one I'm, like, pretty certain. Like, I will owe you a $5 if Milo shows up again. Great. <laughs> Half of an ebook. Love it. Um, I wanted to talk in this chapter about the whole naming thing. Like, I feel like it's such a thing in YA books to be, like, to put so much weight on names. I know I'm mm-hmm. like jumping ahead to pop culture a bit, like, but with Divergent, we got, you know, Tris, Beatrice coming down and Four was there, which, like, Four. <laughs> and Four was like, like, choose your name wisely. <laughs> and then, like, Four's own character had his own nickname because of a particular trait that mm-hmm. made him famous for it. Yeah. Um, and, like, here we have in this little spy group, like, you know you've made it once you get a nickname. <laughs> like, what? And there's some more examples I just can't think of right now. I just think it's interesting how much weight everyone puts on names in these books. And, like, in reality, nobody really cares. I mean, no. like, in some situations, yes. But, like, do I care about my name? No. I feel like most of my friends don't care. Do you care about your name? I love my name. Yeah. Yeah, I do. When people try to give me nicknames that I do not like... I shut it down real quick. Because I'm like, my name's not that hard to say. You can say the full thing. Do not try to shorten it. Do not try to come up with something clever. My name is Chantel. That is what you're going to say. Please and thank you. (laughs) Um, But I think that there's something to be said. I mean, 
we see it a lot in YA, but I think the reason we see it a lot in YA is because we read a lot of YA dystopia where there's this, like, militaristic sense of a particular situation. So, like, here you have this, like, Mm -hmm. militarized spy group, right? Um, Divergent. (laughs) They're definitely military. (laughs) Like, that's the whole thing with Dauntless, right, is that they're this crazy trained sort of enforcer situation um i think i mentioned this in pop culture last week but the um barracks in the peacekeeper or the peacekeeper barracks in a a, a ballad of songbirds and snakes um where they all give each other nicknames and like you don't really have a choice like i feel like it's a thing that happens in the military and it's supposed to create this Mm -hmm. sense of camaraderie and so we just see it a lot in ya because you get a lot of those like military tropes repeated over and over especially in the 900 million dystopian novels that we've all read (laughs) where there's always that military sort of bend to them um but i think it's it's not something that's like normal normal it's just normal for military and spy sort of situations. Mm. That, yeah, I just had to look this up, but that reminded me of um, the fifth wave. Like, they, mm. it's literally dystopian. There's military, like, they enlist kids. One of the main characters' name is Ringer, which is her nickname. Great name. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just think it's so interesting. Like, all of the discourse around names, but you're right. I guess it's probably that dystopian sense military sense well and I, I think part of the reason they do it in the military is because they want to strip away your semblance of self right so you no oh longer gosh. get to be yeah. associated with your own personality and your own baggage from before you came into this place you are now mm-hmm. part of this new situation and we're going to name you accordingly right they yeah. want to remove not necessarily remove memory but distance you from your past so you Mm -hmm. feel indebted to and reliant upon your brothers and sisters in arms that are there fighting the battles with you it's it's a really fucked up psychological technique but it's something that militaries do now definitely so there's a reason dystopian novels always have a military bend to them can you tell I'm not super pro-military? Sorry if you're in the military. War is um, <laughs> um, what else did I have? Oh, I thought, okay. <laughs> Locke showing up out of nowhere randomly and just, like, playing around. What? But I'm sorry. I would have been so crept out like I know he was good to her you know the day before or whatever but why don't show up unannounced to my house also I feel like Jude is giving him way too much credit he put a blanket Uh over her shoulders after he already let his friends <laughs> be honest, this is like what we would have been like as like kids. Like, oh, you saved me. I love you. I know. <laughs> like, come on. But it's, you don't realize the bigger manipulation that's actually yeah. happening. 
Like, it's so true. This is why we're doing this now as adults, because we can understand the perspective of an adult, where we can see the manipulations that are happening. But, like, he's taking advantage of intervening. I'm doing air quotes. um, Intervening at this critical point when Cardin was already over it. Like, Cardin gave her salt. To wake her back up at the same time Locke was getting ready to take her home. So he was already over the whole situation. And Locke's taking credit for all of that. Even though Cardin also had a hand in saving her. Neither of them should have let it happen in the first place. Yeah. It is easier to point fingers at Cardin because he is the head of that little group and he did just kind of urge it more than um Locke did but Locke didn't stop them like you can't give him credit for being a bystander just like you can't like it's like giving people credit when they see racist shit happening in a parking lot and they're like I wasn't the racist, and it's like, yeah. but you let the racist act continue to be perpetrated. Like, you can't do that. Bystanders. Bystander effect is real. Locke is a victim of it. I think he's using it to manipulate Jude, and I don't, I don't like him. I don't. And then he kisses her, and she's like, oh my god, that was so cute. <laughs> it's out of a storybook. I want to punch her this in the girl. face. I. She's learned I, nothing from her trauma. Like, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I guess I can understand her because, like, if you think about it, he is showing her kindness and he's the first fairy her age ish <laughs> to um, show her any sort of. I, I feel don't like want to say kindness, kindness is a stretch. Strong. Yeah, He's showing like, her non-negative attention. Exactly. And, like, I think it, she is in a vulnerable place in that she actually does want it. Like, she has said she wants that, like, yeah, just to fit in. Like, not necessarily be shown kindness, but to be treated just, like, normally. And that's what right. he's showing her, and he realizes that and is taking advantage of it. Um, well, that's the thing, like... I think that the reason it's so frustrating when we read it is because it's so clear... That what he's doing right now is leaps and bounds above and beyond how he was treating her even like a week or two ago in this book, right? He was not Mm -hmm. paying this level of attention to her. He did not really show any interest in her other than, I don't know, maybe smiling at her at court. Like, nothing clear that showed that he was at all interested in her. And now, for whatever reason... His level of interest has gone up dramatically, and he's like, well, I want you at school. Like, things would not be the same without you. How would we survive in the day if you weren't there, dude? It's basically what he's saying. And it's like, her brain is not developed enough that she doesn't realize the warning signs of why he's saying those things. It's like, he wasn't saying those things before. So why is he saying those things now, and what is he trying to accomplish by saying those things now? Because if he liked you, he would have liked you two weeks ago. And he would have done something when Valerian pulled on your braid at court. But he didn't. He would have 
prevented or tried to prevent you from getting drowned. Mm-hmm. But he shoved your sister in the water. So, I need her to wake up. It's, like, so frustrating to me. I'm sorry, but he's playing them. He's too smooth. I don't like it. And, and I think at the, the same time... Reason... Let's go, go ahead. No, go, go. I was gonna say, I think the only reason he's interested in Jude is because something about Cardin's behavior, like, he's picked up onto something about Cardin's behavior, about how irritated by Jude Cardin is, and so he finds it amusing to watch (laughs) Cardin get his panties in a twist about Jude, and so he's gonna continue egging Jude on so she doesn't back down. From pissing Cardin off. And then he's just... He gets to make out with a girl. And he gets to watch this prince that he probably doesn't actually like. Get really upset. And it's like a win-win on both situations for him. It's so manipulative. I love that we are like fully dragging him. And this is really only the second chapter that we've had a lot of interaction with him. (laughs) I've been distrustful of him since the beginning. I know you have. Like, even when he was nice to that boy with the moth wings in chapter three, I'm like, no, it's a trap. <laughs> He's pretending to be nice to make everyone lower their guard. I'm not wrong. <laughs> Jude's guard is lowered. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I was like, if she's going to be so easily manipulated in some ways, like, it shouldn't happen, but in some ways, like, she has her two sisters by her side and like they can see what's happening i think like at mm-hmm. least taryn um and i think and taryn's trying yeah and so like she has a safety net and i think if she's gonna have this happen like let her guard down so easily like let it be now before she's like on her own and it's worse that's true that's that's true i'm just i don't know i'm very especially with the interaction with taryn and jude like Something had to have happened with Taryn and Locke. Something had to have happened. Right? Yeah. You're not going to well, tell it's me. <laughs> something happened. I mean, we get that. But what happened, we don't know. I think she had sex with Locke. He <laughs> manipulated her into having sex with him and then just cast her aside. And now he's showing interest in her sister and is pretending to be nice to her again, too. But she's, like, not having it. Uh, okay. I know, I know, I know what it is. I'm you're not going to confirm or deny. If, if, I will say it's a big part of the plot. The, so some, whatever it is, something happened between the two of them. I also feel mm-hmm. like this chapter, especially, Jude's unreliable narration is coming through really strong in her interpretation of Taryn's facial expressions about yeah. Locke. Like, she's like, oh, she doesn't want me to piss off Locke. Or, oh, she's staring at me like she might want to contradict me saying that Locke is nice. And those things may be true, but I feel like there's definitely more to the story between Taryn and Locke than what Jude's able to perceive. And so she's applying emotions to what she thinks Taryn is feeling in a given moment that aren't actually at all related to the situation. Mm. Yeah. 
It's a good way of assessing it. Yeah, I just don't trust it because I can tell that there's more, you know? And, like, she's so adamant about how Taryn must be feeling that I'm like, no, dude's wrong. Like, she's so, she feels so strongly about it. She must be wrong. She is wrong. You are incorrect. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, I don't like it. (laughs) <laughs> I don't like him in this chapter. It just it really bothers me. Okay, I need to go back to some things I was thinking about the beginning of the chapter before yes. we move on. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> when they're talking about um, her having to like <laughs> fit in training a- around like <laughs> school and her family dinners which she can't miss and then she's like oh god I sound like such a child and I'm like you do and that's valid mm-hmm. like it just makes me you think, are a child <laughs> you are a child it's like please remember that you are a child um even if you may be preventing a coup you're still a child and like you need to keep that in perspective with everything that's going on because my concern is she's gonna feel so adult so quickly and then get herself Mm -hmm. into a very very bad situation when it's like she is still that child she still does have that support network around her and I don't want her to cast it away too soon basically Mm -hmm. which I'm worried is gonna happen (laughs) she's being aggressive in chapter 15 um but we'll we'll see what happens um but it just really reminded me of high school where You know, it's like I would have these meetings for Future Business Leaders of America and I would have to, like, go on the weekend, drive down to Olympia, Washington and, like, meet with the FBLA Board of Directors as the state president. And I'd have to schedule all this stuff in around, like, my soccer practices and, like, school stuff. And I was like, I feel so told I'm meeting with a Board of Directors. (laughs) But it's like, yeah, you got to keep in perspective that no matter how adult and grown up and professional you feel, like, you're still that child. Like, you do still have soccer practice. And you do still yeah. have to have dinner with your mom and she pays you for all of your sword, gas. Sword practice with your dad. <laughs> sword practice with daddy. <laughs> I, and I kind of said this, like, when you were doing the recap, but I just don't understand why she needs to make things harder for herself. Like, you don't need to take a secret spy test. Not needing to take a secret spy test is a good thing. (laughs) Why do you wish there was a test? I kind of get it, though, because, like, then she'll have gone through it. They'll know what level she's at, like, where she is, who she is. And they'll be on the same... Like, there's no one who has one up on her, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like they all assume that she knows nothing because she's a human child it's pretty clear (laughs) so like you're fine you're not gonna shine that much in any test that they're gonna give you jude because you don't know what you're doing i also like especially in these two chapters her you can tell like with i mean she says it herself but like there's all these little cracks starting to show in her psyche and her trauma is catching up with her. Like, it's catching up with her very real, like, very quickly, and it feels very real. And she keeps trying to suppress it because she doesn't know how else to deal with it. And I'm just, like, I'm praying that she unpacks it and handles it before she ends up in a situation, kind of what we're talking about, like, with the removing of that safety net, 
where she ends up in a situation where it catches up with her and she has a panic attack in a moment where she really can't afford to have a panic attack and something really bad happens. Like, I'm very worried that something like that is going to happen and just destroy something for her. Yeah. And it's, it gives me anxiety. <laughs> Should not have this much anxiety about a fictional character, but I do. I, it's like, I hate her, but I want to make sure she's okay. Like, I want to protect her, even though she irritates the crap out of me. Yeah, and I think she is putting herself, as you said, like, in a pretty dangerous position where, like, she is pushing people away, which doesn't help. So if she does ever have a meltdown, it's going to be five times worse because she can't tell anyone about these spy people. Right. She's basically trusting that these people are going to let her in and that she's going to be able to trust them. But if something goes wrong, who does she go to? And that they have her best interests at heart. They don't. Yeah. They have Dane's best interests at heart, and Dane does not have her best interests at heart. He's thinking about himself. So she's not the priority anymore in this situation, and she can end up in a really bad scenario. Yeah. Um, I do... Okay, this is going to be me bringing out my... Breaking out... Let me crack my knuckles here. Uh, breaking out my <laughs> literary analysis a little bit. Okay. When, so I, I, I know I kind of summarized it um, in, the, in the summary of chapter 14 as a game of royalty where Locke made that, like, comment about Jude sort of, like, playing the game of kings, mm-hmm. right? But I wanted to actually go through the specific verbiage that he used because it, I feel like it indicates that he knows something more about what's actually going on than he's letting on. So he says, he looks at me oddly. You're playing the great game of kings and princes, of queens and crowns, aren't you? Of course it matters. Everything matters. And I I feel like that verbiage is really interesting because if he was just talking about Cardin, he would say, like, you're playing the games of, you're playing games with princes and princesses. Right? Something along those lines. Or, like, princes and royalty. He could have simplified it in a, in a very specific way. And Jude, of course, glazes over what he says. She's like, I'm not playing a game. What are you talking about? Um, but I feel like he's choosing his words very carefully. So, first thing, kings. Jude is actively helping to determine who the next king is going to be and potentially preventing some sort of an assassination of the current king um princes Cardin is obviously interested in her and engaged in the game overall but she's also actively trying to thwart another prince Balakin, as well as helping the third prince dane queens we don't know of any actual queen in the current story and it's very unlikely that elowen is gonna become queen and like it seems like Eldred is kind of ruling on his own like their mother must have gone on or died or whatever so who is the only queen that we have had mention of in this story Orlog who provided the poison to Balakin and then the crown the whole legacy is being fought over the crown and like the movement of it from one fairy to another you could also say that it's the queen it was originally queen map's crown so it's her that's true her crown 
That's true. But just like the specific language that Locke uses. I feel like he knows something. He knows, okay. (laughs) I may be reading way too much into it. It's just like the specific way that he said this triggered something in me where I was like very intrigued with why he said those specific words. Because I feel like if he was just talking about playing games with Cardin, he would have said something else. Mm. Okay. Am I reading too much into this? I'm not going to say because I don't want to let you down. I don't want to get your hopes up either. So. Well, it's better to let me down now rather than me running with this and being extremely sad later. He has something up his sleeve. I'm not necessarily okay. sure as to what you're thinking of, but it's, it is, it has something to do with it. Got it. I mean, I don't necessarily yeah. think that he knows everything about what's going on. I mean, these are also Holly Black's words because she knows everything that's going on. But it just feels like he knows more than what he's saying. And yeah. that's part of the reason why he's trying to manipulate her because he wants her on his side. Because he recognizes that she will soon have power. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I also want to say that this is what follows is one of my favorite lines where she goes, mm-hmm. I thought I was playing the game of pissing off people who hated me already and eating the consequences. <laughs> There's something about that that like that summarizes her so well. <laughs> She's such a Gryffindor. I can't. It's so good. It's so good. You <laughs> have these like beautiful words from Locke, like, oh, la-di-da. And she's like, pissing people off. <laughs> and eating so the good. consequences. Yeah, no, it, it is really good. It was a really nice contrast, which I think uh, contrasts their entire relationship. <laughs> yeah, pretty well. Um, yeah, and then the other two comments I had for chapter 14, like, you can just tell... So kind of, I think, to your point, uh, when we were, like, first starting this book about why there needs to be, like, a book one and a book two or a part one and a part two, and that there's, like, a big turning point that we need to take a deep breath after. With the conversation about, like, Taryn getting engaged at the coronation and all of this talk about the assassination right before the coronation, like, it's very, it's, I'm pretty clear i think that the coronation is going to be that kind of like big turning point event i may be wrong but that's kind of the vibe that i'm getting like it's coming very soon and we still have building up to it right we still have three or more chapters like three or so chapters to go before we hit that cutoff of part one so i feel like it's something's gonna happen at the coronation that's gonna be like a really big deal because it wouldn't I, I don't know it doesn't make sense to me for the coronation to be at the end of the book and it feels like it's going to be some kind of a turning point yeah and i will say i just looked this up the chapter right that ends book one mm-hmm. is long it's we, i mean it's it not long, chapter long 18 like or 17 sizable 20 Oh, 20. So we okay. still have a bit of a ways to go. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're probably doing just one episode dedicated yeah, to that. we are. Um, I also just feel really bad for these humans that the fairy world, in addition to having no tampons, has no plumbing. <laughs> I know. And she has so to pee random. in a pan? <laughs> like, they're in the Middle Ages? <laughs> I feel like that's something that they could have implemented. Like, 
It's it, that's kind of mannequin time. She's seventeen. Mannequin yeah. time. At least give her an outhouse, like a little seated area. Like, come on, dude. Like, uh, kidnap a mortal, drug him. Like, they drug all of their other mortals and have him be the plumber that fixes it all up. You know. Yeah, and just put in. You don't like, have to live big, in the dark ages. Put in a big tank, you know, for it to catch it all. And then have someone glamour it away later. It's fine. Get an RV. Let her live in the RV. Can you imagine Jude being, like, one of the kids in the movie RV with Robin Williams? That would change the course of this entire book. Yeah, it'd be a completely different book. Uh, But, uh, yeah, plumbing. Very important. (laughs) That was my last comment for chapter 14. Do you have anything else? No, that was it. All right, should we get into chapter 15? Yes, let's let's do so. Okay. Do you want to start? Oh, wait, hold on. I had one more. Oh, okay. Chapter 14. I'm ready. I thought it was so interesting that um, when she was thinking about who... Taryn was in love with um all she thinks about is Cardin like she assumes that she's in love with Cardin and there's absolutely nothing that could ever possibly hint at her being in love with Cardin not like where is this coming from I think it's because they were like standing next to each other in the woods (gasps) that's right and then Jude pushed him into a tree but she's yeah. But Taryn was crying, so, like, it doesn't really yeah. make sense for it to be Cardin, but Taryn got mad at Jude for, like, intervening. So, Jude being the dense person that she is, maybe she took that to mean that, like, Taryn was actually into Cardin, and, like, the reason she was crying is because Cardin said he didn't like her. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think that Jude would interpret that as, but... I don't know. Like, I'm guessing, I'm guessing we haven't met this kid that Taryn's supposedly in love with. Am I right or am I wrong? I'm not gonna tell you. Julia! (laughs) You don't have to tell me who. You just tell me if they exist as a character in the story It's not like... Okay, we've met them. We've met them. Okay. That's all you need to know. Thank you. You're welcome. She's going to marry the cat-headed goblin teacher. (laughs) Oh, no, please. (laughs) The one that reminded me of Wicked. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Anyways. Anything else for chapter 14? No. Nothing okay. else. Alright, chapter 15. What do you got? I don't have that much. I, like... I want... I, like... Whenever any fantasy writers describe fabrics, I feel like that's so mm-hmm. hard to write. Because, mm-hmm. like, you really have to get a good image in the reader's mind. Mm-hmm. And, like... I think Holly Black does an okay job at it. I, I'm, 
I don't even know if I know any writers that have done an exceedingly good job at describing fantasy fabrics. Yeah. Um, but it's enough to make me be like, oh, like, I wish I had that. Um, <laughs> True. I mean, this is also me being, like, obsessed with clothes, right? <laughs> like, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, but yeah, I kind of like, it's one of those things where I feel like that I want to see on screen. Like, I want to see how somebody else interprets it. Like the whole, oh, you know who did well with it? But it's not, I don't know if you could say it's like fabrics was, uh, in the Hunger Games with all of those costumes. Mm. I do think that she did a pretty good job of describing them. Like I had a pretty good image in my mind it wasn't what ended up being in the film but i think that that was a good interpretation of her words yeah um, well and i also I think, think that of. considering how old the hunger games movies are that like mm-hmm. the fabrics which and is the so clothing, weird to say i know right god we're so old the clothing design in the hunger games was still to this day like some of the best in terms of yeah. like elaborate fantasy wardrobe that I've seen. I, any costume that Effie Trinket wears is just so funny and so good. (laughs) Oh my god, the butterfly one I'm in love with. I know. I need to watch Catching Fire. Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Um, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yes, the fabric (laughs) descriptions were beautiful. Yeah. Um, I think it's so interesting how angsty she became here in this chapter with, like, yelling at Oriana and being like, ah, that's not my father. It came she out was, of nowhere. She was not having it at all. Um, yeah, it, I mean, that's all I had for chapter 15 because I just couldn't get over her attitude problems. <laughs> that's... She did have a lot of attitude problems. Um, okay, so I want to loop back around to the name writing for a second. Okay. Because maybe this is just me. Because I've been wrong about many things in this book so far. But I, again, Jude unreliable narrator basically anytime she has an opinion on what something means in terms of someone else's feelings i'm convinced it's wrong i don't think she understands other people's emotions at all so she's convinced that like carden writing her name multiple times means that he's in enraged thinking about her because he hates her so much yeah. I don't think that that's true. I think, and I've said this before, that, like, he's into her. Cardin is into her, and he hates that about himself. He sees it as a point of weakness. And clearly, as we saw in the last episode, like, Balakin's trying to beat this weakness out of him, and he, part of him probably wants to get rid of it himself. So my guess is he's trying to purge her from his brain and writing lines of her name is his way of trying to cope with that. Like, physically trying to expel thoughts of her from him by writing it down multiple times um, is my interpretation of the situation because I feel like if you just really hate someone, you don't spend that much time 
thinking about them (laughs) where you're like writing their name multiple times like hate and desire can run a very fine line in a lot of ways and I think his is veering more on the desire and he then hates that about himself and so he's trying to purge it yeah I agree and disagree I agree that I think that he's like he has some sort of angsty desire for her and that's what's leading him to write her name but I don't think it's necessarily because he recognizes it more so that he just doesn't recognize it like he doesn't understand what is happening um Mm, I don't think he just has all these feelings but he doesn't know what they are yeah, and I, I don't think that his brother knows either. Like, no. I think that he's just being a stupid teenager and, like, slacking off and his family's not having it. And then on top of all of that, like, his princely duties, yeah. he is having these trouble, troubled feelings that he doesn't know how to work with. Right. Um, and more, and like, worse, it's a mortal who he probably shouldn't be attracted to, yeah. um, which just makes it that much worse. Yeah, so I I mean, I think we're pretty much on the same page. It's just slightly different interpretations of the execution of the actions and the motivations of them. I don't understand, and this is just because I haven't lived sort of a assault trauma situation in my life, so, like, I'm just ignorant of certain coping techniques, I guess. But I, I really don't understand why Jude is being so cavalier with her sisters about what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that she's repressing her trauma. I get that. And she's trying actively not to think about it and just to get them to go away. Um, but they're, like, seriously worried that she's going to get herself killed. Not just a repeat of what happened. And she's acting like it doesn't matter and that everything will be fine. And continuing to pretend like that is just going to make people more suspicious and more anxious to like protect her so i just don't i don't understand why she's acting like that like i can't i can't relate to it so i i'm struggling i read something interesting a while ago i think it was going around on twitter about people who have gone through some sort of assault or triggering experience Mm -hmm. and they will actually like give into more of those um i mean it's not exactly her situation right now but like it feels like it's leading up to it where like in order to feel like you have control of a situation you actually ask ask to like go back into that same situation or a similar situation where you have where you're like in control of it though so you're no longer being assaulted you're no longer having it on you Mm -hmm. you are the one not inflicting it but just having control in that you get to make the choice whether you're in that situation or not so i guess in this situation then that's what jude's doing i mean that's what that's clearly what she's doing with the poisons right like she's trying to make sure that something like that can never happen to her again and she's controlling how much she ingests and can manage it that's similar to what we talked about in the last book, too, with Evelyn. Like, her chasing after having sex with Jared after being assaulted by Felix. Mm-hmm. Where she then felt like she yeah. could be in control of her own body. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely true. I just... I wish she'd open up to her sisters a little bit more. Not necessarily about, like, the poisoning thing and, like, how she's going to be managing that moving forward. But, like... 
just recognizing their concerns as valid because their concerns are valid. They're just looking out for her and like, I just wish she wasn't pushing her entire family away. I know. Number one mistake white heroines do all the time is pushing everyone away. Because they think they can do everything by themselves. Uh, or with a boy. I, I took off from Wyatt Harris. It's not a healthy trait. It's really not. You, It's okay to ask for help. Yeah. I I mean, and so generally in this whole situation, like, I feel bad for Vivi. Because she wants to make her sister feel better and get her into a healthier place. Which is why she's trying to be like, the mortal realm. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Hint, hint. Come live in this happy place where no one's trying to murder you. And Drew just refuses and is just, like, such a little brat to her sister. And, like, girl, I get that you now have this new job as a plum- or as a spy that you're, like, really interested in. But plumbing. Pick plumbing. <laughs> I pick plumbing every day. <laughs> oh, God. Am I wrong, Julia? No. <laughs> I mean, I know then we wouldn't have a story, but, like, <laughs> this is why there's nothing interesting in my life, because I just pick the practical option. <laughs> I will never be a YA heroine. <laughs> um, I do also want to talk about Jude's dress that the seamstress is designing, because it sounds so cool. I know. Like, so the actual description, for those who aren't reading along, um, she says, My corset will have two golden beetles stitched in what looks like a breastplate, with Maddox moon crest and elaborate swirls of shining thread continuing down my front, and tiny sheer drop sleeves of more gold. Like, that sounds so pretty. She's dripping in gold. She's dripping in gold. It kind of reminds me... Of, like, a warrior princess kind of vibe. Like, yeah. this is what I imagine Athena wears into battle. <laughs> like, literal goddess vibes. It just yeah. sounded so cool, so good. I'm here for it. Um, though it's, I find it interesting that it's, like, beetles making up the breastplate. Like, that feels almost Persian or, like, Middle Eastern with, like, the idea of, like, the scarabs combining to make one whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So I'd be interested if this ever becomes, like, a TV show or something, how that would actually be pictured if it is actually the dress that she gets. That's what I'm saying. I want to see this. Or if Maddox, like, you disrespected me in my household. No dress for you. Go into the coronation in Rex. Could happen. I don't know. We're not there yet. It's still a long way. Still. Oh, God. So much time to go. Um, Kind of... I know you kind of uh, were mentioning this earlier, but I think the or you were mentioning it from Jude's perspective, and I think Oriana's reaction to Oak and Jude <laughs> is something we need to unpack a little bit because I don't. It's really interesting, and I don't really know what to make of it because like there doesn't really seem to be any reason why she wouldn't want the two of them to interact. Unless she knows something about Jude or something about Oak that only she knows that makes her want to keep the two of them apart. But 
Like, I can't tell what that is. I don't know. Maybe Oriana just hates mortals and doesn't want her son <laughs> interacting with one of them. But that seems not correct, given that she's spent, like, most of her marriage, if not all of her marriage, in a house with mortals. Mm-hmm. You're like, I'm not going to tell you anything. You'll find out in book three. Shut up, Shantali. Yep. <laughs> I really, like, this one I cannot say anything about. Like, I really would not apologize to myself. I would not be okay. It's it's okay. It's just, inter- like, there's clearly something more for why she doesn't trust Jude. And we just don't know what it is yet. And eventually we'll find out. I mean, it could just be that she's worried Jude's going to tell Oak a really scary story and traumatize him. Come on. One of their Jude. servants bit off Jude's finger. I don't think that's the concern. I know. <laughs> the world is cruel. Maybe she's just very protective over him. He charmed his sister when he was four. Uh-huh. He's a spoiled little brat. She needs to parent him if that's the case. <laughs> There's something here. I don't know what it is, and I don't want to make predictions without having more context, but, like, there's something more to unpack. That's all I have to say. Something. Um, (laughs) I, I, I kind of get in this chapter, I mean, it's so angsty, but, like, I kind of get why Jude's unraveling a little bit, especially as it relates to her connection with Maddox. Because, like, as her connection to Dane grows, she's trying to be on her own and feels like she can only protect herself and look out for herself. And, you know, because she's aligning herself with this thing that he wouldn't agree with, he'll probably drop her um, and not support her and, like, be there for her. Um, Kind of, like, the things that she was feeling when she was talking to Locke, even though she didn't articulate those I just don't really understand where this doubt is all of a sudden coming from because he's, in everything we've seen, treated her like his own kid. Mm -hmm. He's been nothing but kind in his own way to her. He's offering to give her extra special lessons, like spend extra time on her. I just don't understand where this disconnect is stemming from. I think she's just angsty. Yeah, it's unnecessary. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's why we do this podcast. <laughs> unnecessary angst. I really think, like, that's it, though. Like, right now, she's just, like, I'm, like, annoyed with everyone. Like, <laughs> she has a special thing going on on the side she can't tell anyone about. And it's just, she's annoyed with everyone. And yeah. I think she's trying to kind of also, I feel like she still thinks, like, Maddox thinks lower of her because she's immortal and will never make it to the higher ranks. And here she's trying to prove, like, I can be a spy for a prince. Ha ha, but can't tell him about it. And he wouldn't be proud of that anyways because it's dishonorable to be a spy. Yeah. So it just... Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. On the bright side, school was uneventful. Yeah. Once you went back. So... So that's good. And I don't know about you, Julia, but my favorite after-school activity was also slowly poisoning myself because an older man told me to and I feel the need to gain fake control over my life. 
Always. Yeah. Always. A guy that I just met telling me to take some poison. You know me. <laughs> my entire <laughs> high school experience. That's all I did in high school. Poison. Mm-hmm. Just would go forage for mushrooms in the back. <laughs> See what happened. You know, I just wild. This girl is wild. She is. She's so reckless. She's like, mm, could this kill me? Maybe. <laughs> but I'm going to ingest all four of these at the same time. <laughs> at least they sound cool. Like a blusher mushroom. Wraith berry. <laughs> The blusher they mushroom sound sounds nice. cool because it has, like, the the red veins that, like, look like blood trickling out of them. Like, that does sound actually blusher cool. Blusher mushroom. <laughs> and, okay, I had a question here because she talks again about the ghost looking superhuman at the end of chapter 15. And she says that he looks more human than Vivi, which just... Immediately, my brain is like, so what does Heather think? Yeah. Because <laughs> Vivi has, like, just furry really nice ears, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it actually does come up later on. I don't remember what the explanation was. Because she has to, I mean, Heather seems like a smart girl. She probably knows there's something wrong with Vivi. Yeah, I think Heather assumes, I think we learned that Heather just assumes she has some sort of, like, a surgery. You know how people, like, split their tongues and, like, do all sorts of weird stuff with their body? I think that Heather was like, oh, like, she just had surgery. Oh, so, like, the ugly series? Yes, exactly, yeah. Got it. That makes sense. Or, like, the capital, I guess, in Hunger Games. Yeah. Interesting. That, I mean, I guess that makes sense. But, like, why would you have surgery to get more hair around your ears? I know. Listen, whatever Heather's into, if she's a secret furry, I support her. (laughs) Uh, Who knows? Uh, Okay, so that makes more sense, at least if they talk about it later. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's all I had for chapter 15. Okay. So, okay, let's do chapter 14, pop culture, first. What do you have? Uh, my leftover one. Actually, I have two, um, I think. Did I have two or one? Two. Um, well, first of all, whenever Prince Dane gets brought up, I don't know why it was this time around when I was reading it, I kept reading Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like I've been watching The Crown with my parents. I don't know what Princess Diana. I don't know what to do with that. I don't either. It's just like a fun little reference there, I guess. It made it very fun. Like, where's that quote? I first read it. Yeah. Um, We make sure Princess Diana stays alive and well informed about the doings of the court. They failed. They failed failed. miserably. Oh my god. Um, And then my other one, I think. I feel like I've brought this up before in a different context, and I just can't remember where. Uh, the bomb, where she goes, I like blowing things up. I immediately thought of Seamus Finnegan in Harry Potter and his love for blowing things up. But he doesn't like doing it. He does it unintentionally. He does like it at the end of the movies. I don't think it's actually canon in the books, but in the movies, he likes it. <laughs> No, it's always, like, surprising. Like, when he blows up the feather, when he does the, like, eye of rabbit 
dark rum thing turned this yeah. something something. He's like, what happened? And then there's the thing at the end of uh, Deathly Hallows Part Two, where McGonagall he tells Neville. No, he tells Neville. She tells Neville to rope the bridge. And no, but no. he Seamus is the and one that actually. She's does it. yeah. She's like, take Mister Finnegan with you. Yeah. <laughs> Neville's like, go boom, and she's like, go boom. <laughs> That's yeah. fair. I feel like that's not actually book canon. But I, I'm pretty much 100% sure. I'm happy that they made a canon in the movie. I don't think it's book canon, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair, though. That's a good I one. think that the movies actually did, I mean, this is a tangent, but I think the movies actually, the movies did well, like, branching off of Seamus Finnegan's character um, mm-hmm. in a way that J.K. Rowling, like, all of the side characters had so much more potential, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Minus the fact that they recast Lavender Brown in the movie when she became relevant. I'm still bitter about that. She, like, did, she wasn't even in the movies anymore. Wait, what movie? She was in the first couple of movies, but she was a black actress, yeah. and then they recast her as and white. And she was, like, not there anymore. Well, she dies in the Battle of Hogwarts, supposedly. Mm. They don't even show her death. Because it's not fully confirmed. Oh, okay. Or maybe it's not the battle. Actually, I think it might be in the sixth, sixth one. She gets eaten by Frederick Greyback. Oh, okay. okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a book. Anyway. Thing. Anyways. Um, okay. So, Seamus Finnegan. I feel like this. Is that the only one you have for chapter 14? <laughs> only Princess two? Diana. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Your dyslexia counts, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's interference from the crown. That's fair. Um, but that, that's it. Plus all the 700 Hunger Games references. <laughs> yeah, I had so many of those. I literally, like, have post-it notes. Hunger Games, Hunger Games. Oh, my God. Okay. So the bomb also gave me character vibes. Um, but I was thinking of Ramza from the Poppy War. Oh. Because he's just, like, this little kid that loves to run around and blow things up. Yeah. And they're in a spy troop. Like, it's, like, actively what they do is their job. Yeah. But then her... actually a good reference. Yeah. Her body description with, like, the white hair, but then, like, the brown skin and being kind of, like, small. Um, She kind of reminded me as if you, like crossed Inej and Dunyasha together. Hmm. Yeah. From Six of Crows, or from, I'm sorry, from Crooked Kingdom. Um, because, like, the white hair is, like, Dunyasha, but then Inej has the brown skin, because she's Suli. Um, but obviously, like, in terms of ability, the ghost is a lot more wraith-like. Yeah. Because ghost, wraith, same thing. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Casual yeah. reference there in terms of nickname similarity. It's just hard to not not bring up Six of Crows. <laughs> I make so many Six of Crows references. It's so bad. Th- this is this is a little bit far fetched. So bear with me. The idea of Sweet Little Oak becoming something horrific, which is what she talks about in Chapter Fourteen, where she worries that he's going to become like Cardin or or Matic. <laughs> Um, I don't, uh, obviously don't like the feeling, but the way Jude ponders the question where she's like, oh, well, 
fairy children, even they can be innocent when they're young, but then they grow into being these, like, horrific <laughs> beings. Um, it kind of reminds me of, like, certain portrayals of the Antichrist. Oh. I know. It's a stretch. What a pop culture reference. I know. It is, though, because these are both pop culture references. So, but where where the kids are good kids and can use their powers for good, they just have to be nurtured appropriately. Mm-hmm. And, like, the only reason that they end up being good characters is because they have people around them who love them and support them even when they mess up. Yeah. Um. So, both Antichrists are named Adam in the two references that I have, but it reminds me of Adam from Supernatural, which he may turn bad. I didn't actually finish that arc because I gave up on Supernatural sometime in season yeah, 12 or 13. I don't even know. Supernatural has gone on for so long. But there's an Antichrist, Adam, who's, like, trying to protect Castiel, and so I love him. Um, or Adam Young in Good Omens, which I don't... Did you watch that or read that? I need to watch it. I'm probably not going to read it. I love Terry Pratchett. I, I, I don't think it's my book, though. I liked the book, actually. It was a pretty... It was, uh, you just got to like British humor. It's very British. Okay. Um, but the book the book's pretty good. The show was good, too, but I think the book was better, to be completely honest. Um, but there's a little boy who ends up being the Antichrist, and the demons and, like, these, like, demonic nuns are trying to place him in a home where he'll grow up to, like, fully be the Antichrist, but they mess up the babies when they're placing the babies, and so they there's, like, a switch at birth kind of situation where the Antichrist actually gets sent to this, like, very easygoing, like, normal British village average family home and he has a lot of, like, love and support and ends up being, like, a good kid. And he still uses his Antichrist powers, but he uses it to, like, defeat the Four Horsemen instead of <laughs> bolster the Four Horsemen. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like Oak could be that. As long as he is good nurturing, which will not come from Oriana or Maddox. <laughs> Let's be yeah, real. <laughs> definitely not Maddox. <laughs> um, and then, okay... There's something about the whole description of things in chapter 14. So, like, Locke just kind of showing up out of nowhere and being, like, very happy-go-lucky and being like, I just wanted to see you, but I can't stay for dinner, but, like, hi, but, bye, but I'll come back, is kind of reminded me of, like, the carelessness of Mr. Bingley (laughs) from Pride and Prejudice. I mean, the whole thing kind of reminds me of Pride and Prejudice with, like, Taryn not being willing to talk about like who she I mean not that's not prime parent just like kind of feels like Emma but she, it kind of feels like Jane and Frank in Emma um where they like have this secret tryst and romance but like they're not going to talk about it to anyone until they're actually married cuz they did something wrong <laughs> and they slept together before marriage Interesting interpretation that I would like to come back to later. Okay, well, that's the vibe I was getting. It's just, like, it felt very Jane Austen-y with, like, the way that they were all interacting with each other from, like, this fake Oh, no, I think vibe. that you're onto something there. Oh, I don't know if yeah? it's the way that you're interpreting it, though, oh. but I think that is interesting the way that you are thinking of it in that way. 
It came to me while we were talking, so it was a very last-minute pop culture reference. I didn't fully think it through, but Bingley, I definitely feel like I don't like Locke as much as I like Bingley, obviously, but the carelessness of Bingley felt very Mm. relevant for Locke in this moment. I think that your Emma reference is going to come is going to come become relevant later on. Yeah, that but not in the way fair. that you think it will. But still Jane and Frank vibes. The characters. Yes. Not necessarily in the way that you are thinking of. <laughs> that they we'll didn't to sleep together. You're we'll confused. Come back to it. Okay. Remind me about this later on, because I'll okay, probably I'm forget. Gonna, listen, I'm writing myself a post to know. I'm going to remind you of it, because I think it's very funny. Great. Um, okay, and then Maddox's strategy sessions, the what he was talking about, where he's like, read these things, and then I'm going to give you challenges, and you have to, like, figure out how to do this thing with this limited number of rules I give you. It reminded me of the strategy classes they have in the Poppy War, like, very distinctly. The one where they have to, like, figure out how to get people out of the valley and Rin's just, like, flood everyone. (laughs) That is the solution. And they're all like, what? I miss Rin so much. Yes. I know I need to read The Burning God. I'm just still so scared. I can't get myself there. Mentally, I'm not at that point where a I guy can on read A that. guy on TikTok called me out for it because he made a video reviewing the Poppy War and he was like, I'm halfway through the Dragon Republic. And I'm like, I commented and I was like, I can't start The Burning God. I'm so scared. It's going to break me. And he was like, no, you need to read it and then tell me if it'll break me. And I'm like, I, c- <laughs> I can't be your guardian. <laughs> I feel like we're, like, we're waiting for the worst to happen, and I'm like, but the pandemic is not the right time for me to Mm. read that right now. Like, I need uplifting stuff. Right. I need romance novels. Please don't thank you. (laughs) Yeah. You're not at that level, but. I'm not, but I do need something fluffier than I usually read. Like, I have all of these fantasy and adventure books on my my to-read list, and I'm like, I can't do it. That's fair. Um, but yeah, so that was, the, that was the last one I had for chapter 14, was the, the strategy classes from Poppy War. So big, big Poppy War chapter for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, chapter um, 15, what do you got? Okay. I have... Oh, the... Um... I think this happens in chapter 15. Yeah, when Oak um, comes running up to Jude, and Jude is like, I'm going to tell you a story about a kid who lost all his teeth. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that just reminded me so much of in Howl's Moving Castle when Sophie is like, um, God, what's what's his name? The kid. I'm blanking on his name. I am a terrible Oh my god, the kid. Studio uh... Ghibli fan. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. The little, uh, little brown-haired kid. I'm looking it up for you. Hold on. Oh, thank you so much. Michael Fisher. Yes. Michael Fisher. No. What does he has a last name? What? Oh, Markle. Markle. Yeah. Okay. Michael Fisher so, is his name in the book. <laughs> oh, interesting. So, Markle 
that scene reminded me so much of when Markle um, is trying to understand who Sophie is. Like, where did this lady come from? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I'm the... Uh, or he thinks that she's a witch. And she's like, oh, I'm the worst kind of witch. I'm the witch that cleans. There's something about this, like, whole interaction where it's, like, very fond. Like, there's nothing mean about it. But, mm-hmm. like, it's this kind of, like... I'm gonna tell you something to like scare you right mm-hmm. now. Um, I don't know why. That's just like it. The, I guess Oak reminds me of in a way of Markle. Yeah. Like Markle's much more. I mean, he's older and he's more educated-ish <laughs> than right. Oak is. But there's something about Oak that reminds me a lot of his like innocence, the carefreeness. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, Gotta love young boys. They're so just <laughs> living life. <laughs> Running through the world in full force in a way that none of the rest of us do. <laughs> um, yeah, I was trying so hard to think of something to connect to the whole poisoning sequence, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I don't think I have ever read anything where like the narrator willingly is like, I'm gonna slowly poison myself. The closest I could get is written in the poppy world where she just does stuff to herself because she wants to keep going um Mm. like i mean i'll die on this hill i made this comparison last week it's like what Catherine does in the vampire diaries with vervain yeah and what stefan and damon do like they're actively poisoning themselves but so they can resist mind control i don't know anything else where that is a big theme no, I, because it's not normal. People don't do that. No. Um, and then my last one was the whole dressing sequence reminded me very strangely of um, <laughs> Cinderella. Hmm. Where it just feels like, because you have Jude who has picked up this fabric and is clearly like admiring it. Mm-hmm. And then you have Tara and he's like, oh my god, I love that. I want that. Um, yeah. And basically gets her way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Jude's. Jude gives it to her willingly, but there's just right. something that reminds me of like the evil stepsister kind of situation where, like, I'm going to take that because I like it. Poor Taryn. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Taryn. Um, that's fair, though. I, I can see that. I, yeah. I mean, just the general vibe. And again, I think we talked about this last week, but. Or two weeks ago, but there's a lot of like repetition in the pop culture references here that it's like the ladies prepping for balls and anything, yeah. but like Bridgerton obviously comes to mind because it's so mm-hmm. relevant and they were like looking at the different fabrics for like the feathering tins where they needed their like <laughs> super loud, crazy fabrics. Oh, I love um, the feathering tins. Oh, so good. But like also the layout of the different fabrics and clothes and like people coming into your house or you being somewhere and like the fashion montage basically it brings to mind so many different things so like first one i'll say is of the coming to the home to do all of this stuff um reminds me of bling empire did i say this last week i don't remember you did did. okay (laughs) so i won't say it again but um i the entire time this sequence was happening i kept thinking of the lizzie mcguire movie when she's like getting dressed <laughs> and she's like playing with all the fabrics and then like all of the clothes oh come God, out your mind i don't understand how it works 
I would not have thought of that. But she's, like, putting the fabrics over one another, yeah. and then she's like, this is what I want. And then Donatella, whatever her name is, makes her a dress out of that, and that's what she wears to the award show. <laughs> this is a completely normal relationship. It's just so funny. It also reminded me of... I would not have of, thought of that, really neat. Like, the shopping sequence in Pretty Woman. Mm-hmm. Um... And also, I just got Gossip Girl vibes, too. Like, I don't know why, but I feel like Jenny or Blair had some kind of a scene like this at some point in yeah. Gossip Girl. Probably. I mean, probably. When they were at Eleanor's, Eleanor's studio, you know? Like, yeah. she was a fashion designer. Jenny was a fashion designer. They, I know that Jenny made trips to Mode, where, like, the new school and, like, all of those people got all their fabric for <laughs> project runway so i'm sure they had scenes like that i just don't remember them in detail um i also this is it's pop culture but not at the same time so i apologize uh have you seen any of phil eagle's tiktoks no okay so phil eagle is this guy happily married guy you know living his best life who does TikToks revealing the secrets of women. Oh, God. To men. In a very... He's very wholesome. Like, it's oh. very sweet. <laughs> and he, he'll make videos where he's like, women, you do these things. And it's adorable. And he'll, like, scream how adorable all these things that women do are. Because we're awesome. And one of the things that he repeats a lot, he's like, I really love that little twirly dance you do when you want to tell us that a dress has pockets and you, like, put your hands in the pockets and twirl around and go, it has pockets. And he's like, it's adorable. And so I don't, Jude's pocket dress, meant to hold weapons and poison. I was just thinking about these TikToks where this guy's like, it's adorable. (laughs) Imagine. I mean, Karnan probably thinks it's adorable. <laughs> he, he probably denies that it's adorable. Locke thinks Deep it's adorable. It's... <laughs> I can't. I just, it, it, I watch those videos all the time because I follow him on TikTok. And, you know, I love dresses with pockets. So mm. now every time I think about a dress with pockets, that comes to mind. <laughs> Um, and then there's something about sort of, like, the description of Jude's whole day and, like, her having to pick herself up after pure exhaustion and keep fighting and training and, like, doing all this stuff at night and, like, working harder than everyone else mm-hmm. just so she can be on par. Reminded me a lot of, like, the training sequences in Mulan. Oh. Or she, like... Or the animated original? I don't remember the movie. I've only watched it once. The animated original. Like, what she's doing, like, during the song, I'll Make a Man Out of You, right? Where she's, like, getting up at night and trying to, like, climb the thing, even though she's so tired and sore and just, like, really struggling. And she's still, like, getting up and training and, like, working harder than everyone else. The way it was described just reminded me of that. And I just kept singing, I'll Make a Man Out of You in my head when reading this chapter. (laughs) And then just generally the whole chapter gives me angst level vibes of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Whole chapter. She has Harry Potter 
fifth book. Angst vibes. Okay. It's like she has a traumatic event that she refuses to deal with, and she's just yelling at everyone around her instead. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what Harry does in Phoenix. the fifth book. <laughs> and he's like, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Let's be honest, he does that, like, even after that book. I know he does, but it's, like, the worst in that book. And that's also yeah, the one where he's, like, he's... actively repressing his trauma about Cedric dying. Yeah. Boy has PTSD, and he refuses to deal with it. And Jude has PTSD, and she refuses to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, that, so that's what I got. Good. Nice. Yeah, we got our Six of Crows obligatory reference in there. And we got our Harry Potter obligatory reference. Our Harry Potter one. Oh, Hunger Games. We we got all the main franchises. We're good. 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 (laughs) We need to read more interesting things. I know. It's so bad. Uh, Anyways. Okay, Julie, are you ready? It's now your section. MVP? Yes! Yes! <laughs> Woo! Woo hoo hoo! I'm so excited. Okay, who's your MVP? You go first. That's a good question. Not Jude. <laughs> I think I'm gonna give my MVP to the ghost. Okay. Um, because I think he's really nice to her, um, and he also comes and helps her train, helps lead her out of the whole situation, and even though she's kind of all over the place and a mess, he's just being very, like, sweet, not overly flirty, though it kind of seems like flirty is probably just his personality. He's kind of jespery in that way, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um... But he just seems, like, really sweet. Like, he actually wants to help her and get her up to speed and help her learn, not make fun of her and, like, tear her down like everyone else in her life. Um, So, yeah, I just kind of appreciated his, like, little handsome cavalier attitude about flitting through life and just helping everyone out. Okay. about you? I'm going to give mine to, against my better judgment, Taryn. Um, I know, but I think that she is genuinely trying to be a good sister. Mm -hmm. Um, she's not my favorite character at all, (laughs) by any measure, but I think she does show that she's, like, she recognizes there's something going on with, um, Jude. I don't know if it's necessarily selfless. I think that there might be a little bit of selfishness in there. Yeah. Um, but I, she approaches it the right way like she doesn't make it obvious that it's about her like she is i think trying to make jude just talk on her own terms she's not Mm -hmm. trying to push her not trying to force anything out of her um she's just like like listen like i know you have a plan like just let me know i'm here Mm -hmm. i'm your sister and like just reminding her like you listen we are family you know yeah um so i think the way she approaches it is uh commendable so she's my mvp all right your wine review corner i don't know i don't even know (laughs) i'm gonna give this a uh i'm gonna give this a solid 
seven. No, I'm going to give it a six out of ten. Okay. It's kind of bland. Like, we got a whole lot of shock the last few chapters. And there is a Mm -hmm. lot going on in these chapters. But it feels more like we are setting up for something, right? So it's more like a your basic Merlot. Like, there's not a whole lot going on there. Like, it's a good, safe wine that tastes good. It, it There's not a whole lot going on in the palate, but mm-hmm. you can drink it down and have a couple glasses of it and call it a night. And it's probably a little bit cheap in some places, but you could go for like something more expensive. But right. not, you're not going to pay a lot for it. It's filler. It um, gets you where you need to go. Exactly. Like, yeah. it's, it's reliable. Yeah, that's six out totally of ten. Sure. Six out of ten. That's that's good. Um, yeah, my wine review. I think this is the most angst of any chapter or chapters <laughs> that we've through read. This, through. I think this is gonna have to be a full ten out of ten. Yeah, I agree. Like there is so much unnecessary angst. This is so just ridiculous the level of like in her head dude is in a way that absolutely makes no sense and it's because she just refuses to deal with like what actually has happened to her like she Mm -hmm. doesn't want to think about it and so she's just acting out and like feeling those feelings without acknowledging that she's feeling those feelings and it's making her a menace (laughs) and uh, I just and Cardin is also weirdly being angsty, even though we barely talk about him in these chapters. Locke's taking advantage of all of their angst. It's just it's messy. So yeah, ten ten out of ten. I think this this is our first ten out of ten for the wine review, but it definitely deserves it. Congratulations, Jude. <laughs> God. I don't even think there's one chapter in The Concealed I would have given a 10 out of 10 to, so. Jude's special. (laughs) She's, like, on another level. She's got a lot going on in her head. That, that she definitely does. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, I mean, that's pretty much it. Julie, do you have any last comments about the book this week? No, I'm so excited for what's coming up soon. Me too. Me too. I cannot wait to see what happens. Um, I hate being in the dark about it. Like, I wish I could just read through it all and be like, what's going on with Locke and Cardin and Jude? Like, I need to know all the details now. But it's been good um, to sort of take it piece by piece every week because, you know, you all now get to suffer through my stupid literary analysis because I have nothing else to do other than analyze every sentence and every character. <laughs> for clues because I'm just like waiting to find out what happens oh yeah I remember what happens next thanks <laughs> Julie I think that we're getting to that next let me let me see what are our next chapters um our next chapter oh, 16 okay not quite but the, I think the chapter <sighs> afterward there's some developments we have <laughs> Four episodes to go before chapter 20. Like, we're Countdown. doing one chapter a week for a while. <laughs> There's something strange that happens before that as well. It's not as pivotal, but it's definitely big. So Great. Cannot wait. I'm so excited to see what happens in this book. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, <laughs> uh, keep... <laughs> 
keep abreast of like what's going on with us and where we're at, what we're reading by following us on social media, which we will post on, right, <laughs> Julia? Yeah. God, we're so bad. I need to do a blooper episode, too. Anyways, you can follow us on um, Instagram and Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod. You can follow us on Twitter at Unangst Pod. And you can send us emails with your thoughts on the book, um, book recommendations for us, requesting book recommendations, because as you can tell, we read way too much. Um, and you can send us emails at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com. We're always responding, and also we're screening for spoilers, just in case. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So thanks for tuning in this week, guys. We're uh, really excited to keep <laughs> making progress in this book, and I'll uh, talk to you next week. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye.